Coming up, we've got controversy at SEC Media Days as a former Georgia quarterback has a real issue with Tennessee coach Jeremy Pruitt, and then Pruitt responds. We'll tell you all about it next, right here on SEC Country Live. Hello everyone and welcome to SEC Country Line. My name is Brandon Adams. It's former Alabama All-American Mike Johnson. And since this is our last week on the air, now it can sort of be told in some respects. One of the things that behind the scenes here has always driven some of the people that we work with crazy is the fact that I can never be on time. You know, this show, as I've said before, <laughs> is supposed to start at 3 p.m. Eastern time. It is 10 minutes after 3 and we've just gotten started. Like that, and many of you have been very patient with that over the years. The fact that the show has sort of had a little bit of a sliding start time. I don't think we've ever started like past 3.15 necessarily, yeah. but we've certainly pushed, and 3.10 is really about as late as we've started, but 3.05, kind of a regularity for us. Let me just say here on this, our final week on the air, that I greatly apologize for my just inability to be on time it wasn't because i wasn't trying I, I, somehow we just can't seem to be on time yeah as long as we're opening up the curtain too i think the ac is once again broken this studio yeah. of ours i am i am glistening right now after being at sec media days all today today so you got you guys excuse the sweat running off my forehead but you know what we'll all be sweating by the time it's done because we got some red hot sec talk coming your way how about that for a transition let me do item number one here on our sec country live first in 10 list now i think this is really juicy here uh, an SEC coach going into his first media days and having to deflect some criticism right from the get-go. It starts on Tuesday when former Georgia quarterback turned analyst for the CBS Sports Network, Aaron Murray, goes on 102.5 FM in Nashville. Obviously, being a Tennessee-based radio program, they ask him for his thoughts on Jeremy Pruitt. Now, as a person who's sort of been on both sides of these interviews over the years, occasionally interviewed myself, certainly doing plenty of interviews with former players such as Mike Johnson, Almost all of these interviews go exactly the same way. Almost every one of these interviews is yep. former player just sort of spouting off some sort of platitude. And guys like me sometimes aren't even listening to the answer because we're so sure of just how meaningless <laughs> it's going to be. It's all just sort of soundbite, coach-speaky type stuff, even from like radio and television professionals. But when the Tennessee folks asked Aaron Murray about Jeremy Pruitt, Murray had something to say, pretty specific. Here's an example of it from Nashville's 102.5 FM. First off, talent-wise, they're far behind right now. I mean, talent-wise, it's not even close with them, South Carolina, Florida, Georgia. It's, just, it's, just, it's not there. So, I mean, he has a huge mountain to climb just to get them competitive in this league right now. And two, honestly, I don't know if his personality is fit to be a head coach. I don't. As a head coach, there's so many things that go into it. It's not just going out there and coaching. You have to deal with front office. You have to go talk with the president of the university. You have to deal with boosters. You have to deal with the offense, the defense. It's not just going there and dealing with the kids and, and scheming up. There's a lot that goes into it. I don't think he's the right guy to kind of be the CEO of a corporation. He's really good managing just a defense and being a defensive coordinator. He needs to prove to me that he can handle the whole ship. For right now, I don't think he can. So that's Jeremy, uh, actually that's Aaron Murray talking about Jeremy Pruitt there. And it's one of those moments where if you're the radio host doing that interview, as I alluded to a moment ago, you say, wait, what? <laughs> Are you actually telling me something real here? You that's don't so think true. you don't think that Jeremy Pruitt's going to be a good coach at Tennessee, which obviously begs a follow-up. Why are you saying these things? What is it about Jeremy Pruitt that you don't like based on his past? And Aaron Murray had no problem kind of going there in terms of the issue that he has with Pruitt. Take a listen here to more. My is when he was at Georgia and the way he acted, the way he treated Coach Rick, I thought was poor. He wasn't as respectful as I thought a defense coordinator should be to a head coach. So that's my thing with, with authority. When he's dealing with the athletic director, when he's dealing with the president, when he's dealing with a booster who's giving millions of dollars, you can't go tell him to screw off. You have to take the meeting. You have to sit with them. Yeah, I know you want to be game planning and getting ready for the game, but you're a head coach now. You have to do these other things. Like I said, I think he's a really good defensive coordinator. I think he's when he has one mission, he's really good. But when you have to be pulled in a hundred different directions, you have to be respectful and sit in all this other stuff. He needs to show me he can do that. I'm not saying he can't. He needs to show me he can, and that's his biggest hurdle as a head coach. A couple points of clarity here: uh, Aaron Murray's career at Georgia ends in 2013. Pruitt's career as Georgia defensive coordinator doesn't start until 2014, so they're actually not on campus 
at the same time together. But pretty clearly, Murray is hurting people who apparently think they know some things about uh, Jeremy Pruitt. You know Pruitt as well. What do you make of what Aaron Murray has to say here? Well, it's almost like Aaron Murray knows something I don't. I, I don't think Jeremy Pruitt has shied away from any booster meetings. I don't think he's shied away from some of the responsibilities that are going to come along with a head coach. But the fact of the matter is he hasn't ever been a head coach. And so that is something still left to be decided in terms of what he's going to bring to the table at Tennessee. I understand Aaron Murray asking questions about it. I did want to know more about what he was saying about the disrespect with Mark Richt and some of the other things surrounding some of his opinions. To me, it almost sounded like Aaron's opinion about Pruitt as a head coach was formed because of a lack of respect for Mark Richt. I don't know if it's fair to make that assumption. I don't know if it's fair to say Jeremy Pruitt didn't respect Mark Richt at some point because he heard something and that says he's not going to respect boosters at Tennessee. But we've yet to see what Jeremy Pruitt is as a head coach. So if Aaron Murray wants to wonder that, I think that's fair. So you may not remember this, but going back to last December, we actually, when Pruitt was hired from the, for the Tennessee job, we played some audio then of a guy from DogNation.com, Chip Towers, that covered Jeremy Pruitt at Georgia back in 2015 when a lot of things blew up with Pruitt behind the scenes there at Georgia. And at the time, Chip Tower said that there were some concerns that he thought Tennessee ought to have about hiring Jeremy Pruitt. To sort of back up what Aaron Murray might be saying there, let me let you hear from a guy that, that knew the situation with Jeremy Pruitt at Georgia pretty well in terms of you know, the demeanor appropriate for being a head coach. It sounds like Chip Towers has some questions too. Take a listen to this. He is a good football coach. There's no question about it. But there's a lot of stuff that went on in Georgia. And look, at, you know, I mean, it did. You know, a lot of it, we can't write, you know, you can't get people to be quoted about it and that kind of stuff. His stay at Georgia was volatile, tumultuous at the, at the very least. And there were run-ins, there were personality conflicts. So I think the biggest challenge for Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee is Jeremy Pruitt. How is he going to handle all those other things that require some subtlety? Because there's not a whole lot subtle about this guy. So that's Chip Towers, a guy that knew the Pruitt situation well from December. What Aaron Murray says yesterday sort of echoes that. If you're a Tennessee guy, are you worried about this? If you're a fan, if you're even a person that's sort of in charge of employing Jeremy Pruitt, you worried about this at all? I don't think so. And, and I wouldn't be worried. You know, listen, as a guy who knows Jeremy Pruitt, as a guy who's seen Jeremy Pruitt work, as a guy who knows what kind of coach he is, I wouldn't be worried about it at all. And the fact of the matter is, if Jeremy Pruitt had a problem with some of the things that Mark Richt was doing at Georgia, it wasn't the only one. I mean, Mark Rick is not at Georgia any longer. And so I don't know the ins and the outs. I don't know what the argument was about. I have a ton of respect for Mark Rick and the, and the man he is and the things he did at Georgia. But I also feel very strongly that Jeremy Pruitt's a great head coach and he's going to do things at Tennessee. So I don't know the behind the scenes stories. I just know the way Jeremy Pruitt has always treated me and the, the kind of coach he's shown me that he can be in his time there at Alabama. And I think I, I still think Tennessee fans should be very confident in what they have in the head coach position. Speaking of uh, Tennessee fans, they had a chance to see their guy, Jeremy Pruitt, take the podium for the first time today as head coach in the SEC at SEC Media Days in downtown Atlanta. As you might imagine, he was asked about his response to what Aaron Murray had to say, and Jeremy Pruitt gave a pretty forceful response to that. Here is uh, Jeremy Pruitt for Media Days. Well, first of all, you know, I coached against Aaron, and he was a fantastic player, great competitor. But, you know, I grew up a coach's son, you know, so when you're standing on the sideline, your dad's high school team is going two and eight, the folks up in the stands, even in Rainswell and Miami, they're not real happy. So I realized at an early age that everybody has an opinion, and my dad told me, he said, as long as they pay their money, son, they can say whatever they want to. So I'm going to worry about the things that I can control, and I know who I am, and I'm comfortable with that. So you hear Jeremy Pruitt there in that regard. There was another reporter who captured something that Pruitt said in a different venue at SEC Media Days. You're sort of bouncing from place to place, speaking to gaggles of reporters in different yeah. places. It's sort of hard to figure out who's going where and, and which room is different than the other. But uh, David Ubin, a reporter that covers SEC Media Days, gets this quote from uh, Jeremy Pruitt. He says, um, 15 years ago, I was a kindergarten teacher. Can you imagine Jeremy Pruitt teaching <laughs> Unbelievable. He says, 15 years ago, I was a kindergarten teacher. Now I'm the head coach of Tennessee. You probably don't make that ascension without knowing how to treat people. So Pruitt's clearly got a pretty strong response here to uh, the criticism of that's out there or suggestions about his time going back to Georgia, which is, I believe, what Aaron Murray's referencing when he, uh, in fact, we know that because he said about the way that he uh, treated uh, uh, Mark Rick. What I don't think that Jeremy Pruitt wants, 
I don't think that he wants to rehash what happened in Georgia. No. It's pretty clear that um, that you know he says, hey, I can't be too worried about criticism, and I can't be too worried about people who think I don't have the right demeanor to be a head coach. But what you won't hear Jeremy Pruitt say, and I think this is smart, you won't hear him say, hey, if anybody knows one reason why I shouldn't be a head coach, let them come forward right now and, and say it or forever hold their peace. Like, that's something that Jeremy Pruitt is not going to say. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's fair. And, and listen, not everybody's going to like you. I think yeah. Jeremy Pruitt understands that. Not everybody. Listen, when Nick Saban got to Alabama, people trashed that guy up one side and down the other, and they still do about the way he left Miami. Every yeah. Miami Dolphins player from the last two years was interviewed saying he made one guy cry, saying he stepped over somebody that was injured on the field, saying he didn't care about the players. And I'm sitting there as one of his new players going, oh, my God, like, what am I getting myself into? This like guy, somebody said he stepped over. Like an injured player, player, and he was like, everybody was moved the drill. And it wasn't just an injury. I think it was like a, like a health, like a, like a, a heat exhaustion kind of thing going on. I'm not laughing about that. I don't know. That, that's a pretty villainous. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't know what to think. It, it didn't change the way I felt about Nick Saban. It didn't fit, change the way he coached me. It doesn't change the fact that I love Nick Saban as a head coach. So not everybody's going to like you. And I think that Jeremy Pruitt, that's what he was trying to kind of say in front of the podium. Listen, I have a lot of respect for Aaron. You know, I'm not going to go down that road of what happened at Georgia, and, and, and things are the way they are, and I'm thankful that I'm at Tennessee. Yeah, listen, uh, behind closed doors, I'm not an expert on what happened at Georgia when Jeremy Pruitt was there, and the people have shared with me what they think they know about what happened behind closed doors. I'm not at liberty to quote them on this, so there's not really a whole lot I can speak in terms of expertly in terms of how the uh, Pruitt situation went down there at UGA, but what I will tell you is this, is that you know, just from the perspective that we can all get looking at Georgia before 2014, before Jeremy Pruitt got there, there was something lacking at UGA. They've been close to, you know, to the uh, national championship in 2012, almost beat Alabama in the SEC championship. But, but you know, recruiting didn't really take the big boost from that moment the way that you thought it might. Uh, I don't know that Mark Rick was always great at maximizing his uh, scholarships. I don't know that he was always great at being as aggressive in the recruiting trail as he needed to be. I do think that Jeremy Pruitt did bring a dose of something that Georgia really needs. Now, if it is true, as um, uh, Aaron Murray suggests, that, that Pruitt was disrespectful to Mark Rick, I think that is crossing a line. I think you can push a program to achieve more without being disrespectful to your boss here. But listen, there's no doubt that Jeremy Pruitt, I mean, the energy that he has, that Tennessee is going to sort of tap into over the next few years here, Georgia needed it in 2014. Well, not, not only that, but let's look at the Tennessee situation. Their fans were ready to fight last year when this, you know, this head yeah. coaching search was underway. They've had five years of Butch Jones kind of trying to make things sound better than they are. They've had five years of Butch Jones kind of sugarcoating things. So listen, if they're getting a coach in there that's not okay with some of the things that are going on, and, and one of those coaches that's kind of fighting and scratching and clawing, good or bad, yeah. then I think Tennessee fans love it. It's yeah. definitely a change-up from what they've had under Derek Dooley and Butch Jones. So on today's program and for the next two days, we're going to take a lot of comments here. And I saw some people on Facebook already, Zach Smith, Tim Glover, uh, Christy Hardy, uh, as an example. Uh, people saying, wait, what's going on here? This is the last week for SEC Country Live. Yes, we made that announcement yesterday. and I don't want to do the whole thing over again. You can go back and check out yesterday show for more details but I do know that we have people that get a chance to watch one day they don't see every day of the week so we'll rehash some of it here you know uh, SEC country the uh, website that we sort of have been partnered with uh, ceased its operations on June 30th and we were obviously in every attempt to keep doing SEC Country Live. I'm proud to say that we've been able to do it here now for the last few weeks. Mike and I, our commitment to this kind of content has never wavered. He and I are looking forward to uh, doing some projects together again in the uh, very near future. Uh, but in terms of this show live every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, this is our last week doing that. We're going to go out with the bang celebrating the same kind of stuff we've always done here. Our love for SEC football today and then tomorrow, but do want to be clear about that and be really clear about how you can find out about what's next for him and me and us together here. It's the SEC Country Live YouTube feed. Now listen, here's the thing I've learned in life. Nothing's ever easy. Everything's complicated. Come to find out there's an SEC Country YouTube page and an SEC Country Live YouTube page. <laughs> I did you, not know that. Yeah, you need to like the one uh, that's SEC Country Live. Uh, please like that YouTube page. Uh, before it didn't really matter, but I, I guess now it probably does. SEC Country Live on YouTube. Like that page. Follow that page. Also our podcast. You know, we've been doing this show as a podcast for years and years and years. Uh, not years and years and years, but as long as we've done the show, we've done it as a podcast. Many of you only watch it, but we've got, you know, thousands of people who listen to that every single day. So, um, 
if, if you're a podcast listener, you know, keep that feed active. And if you've never tried the podcast before, click on over there, uh, subscribe to that podcast. That's a great way to find out uh, what Mike and I, as far as what we're doing together, what's going to happen next on that. So please check that out. And of course, we look forward to taking a lot of your uh, comments on this. Stephen Early says, BA, does Dog Nation in two? No, I'm very proud to say that uh, the Dog Nation is going to continue just like it always has. SEC Country Live, always a separate entity there in that regard. So uh, Dog Nation, as you've come to know and expect it, nothing different about that. But SEC Country Live, uh, we will be saying goodbye to you here tomorrow. By the way, thanks to Michael Carvel, who's a great partner for us doing this show, who put a link to the YouTube a page uh, there in the comment section, so appreciate that. Christy Hardy says, sad to see you guys off of here. Christy, I really appreciate that. Thank you for watching the show when you can. That's a, a really nice thing uh, to do. Uh, going back to the football subject here for a moment, uh, let me get a D Pickett's comment who says, Pruitt is uh, not gonna get fired like that. So uh, D obviously referencing some other people in the comment section saying that it's gonna be a tumultuous issue for uh, Pruitt. And if you wanna go back to the conversation we were having on that, as D Pickett says in the comments, it is going to be one of those issues here where the Pruitt demeanor is in question and the landing spot there at Tennessee is also in question. You and I both believe that Philip Fulmer, the Tennessee athletic director, is a strong personality. He's the kind of guy that wants to be in the spotlight, wants to have his degree of control. Yeah. Tennessee, I agree with what Aaron Murray said in the outset of his initial comment. It's not a talented team right now. You know, questions about Jeremy Pruitt's demeanor are even more relevant given the fact that Tennessee's got some real issues both on and off the field. Yeah, I think this is going to be, in my opinion, this is going to be a great example of winning cures all. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the bottom line. If you can go up to Tennessee and you can win football games and you can have some upsets and you can knock off some teams and you can get that team to seven wins, possibly eight wins this year, I don't know where the blueprint is to, to, to get you that. I don't know where that roadmap is. But if you can get to seven, eight wins and knock off some teams along the way, Guess what? People aren't going to care about what Jeremy Pruitt did. People aren't going to care about what Aaron Murray or, or David Pollock or anybody thinks of Jeremy Pruitt. As a matter of fact, he will probably be even more celebrated for some of the background he had if he can go out and win football games. Matt Hall says, y'all are great. It's a sad day. I appreciate that. Uh, other comments in the comments section, Justin Worley says it's a sad day for him too. He says it's his birthday. Uh, we appreciate, first of all, Justin, you watching on, our, on your birthday there. And thanks for your uh, support of SEC Country Live over the years. We certainly appreciate that. Um, uh, let me get one more comment here on this. I'm going to pop over to YouTube for a moment. Zach Smith says, thanks for the clarification, guys. Y'all be back bigger and better when you uh, uh, get back to the SEC live shows. There's obviously a big mark of this type of show, and you guys are the best. Zach, we certainly appreciate that. We're Seriously. excited about a lot of things coming up in the very near future. Let me also say hello to our YouTube audience, take some comments there on Jeremy Pruitt. And then I want to talk about the Florida Gators here for a moment. Over here on YouTube, let me uh, pick up some uh, comments. Um, uh, Adam Hopper says that Jeremy Pruitt was lucky. Uh, he's the 10th choice uh, for the Tennessee job. Expectations, therefore, have got to be low. And I understand where Adam's coming from the comment section on that. Obviously, there is, you know, the truth. They were going to hire Greg Schiano. They looked at a lot of other names before they got to Jeremy Pruitt. This is still the SEC. This is still a Tennessee program that's had as much success as really anybody in this league has, probably south of Alabama. And from that standpoint, I think the Pruitt the Pruitt expectations are still pretty high because Vols fans are hungry. They are, and 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 that's why I, I kind of just laugh this off as, hey, this is prime SEC media days talk. And listen, I, I think a lot of things get a bad rap during the offseason because you say, boy, this is offseason talk. This is June talk. This is May talk. Media days isn't supposed to be about that. Media days is supposed to be about media days when you finally get some good information that you can go off of. But it's going to be a talking point for a couple of different reasons because Georgia and Tennessee is a rivalry game. And yeah. when you have one guy as popular as Aaron Murray and David Pollock, Talking back and forth to the head coach at the University of Tennessee, you're going to have some, uh, you know, some kind of bad feelings about that. William Lee on the YouTube comment section says about my show, Dog Nation Daily, that there are lots of good info on there, even with BA's typical UGA spin. I will tell you, we had some non-Georgia fans that have been, you know, viewers of us here in SEC Country Live that checked out the show today, and that was great. You'll still be able to see Mike on there a, a lot, so that'll still be a, a great way to check in. Um, Morgan Recton says, I was on Dog Nation Daily today. They were very welcoming to a Gator. See, I mean, look, I, <laughs> I really do mean this. And um, see, what happens on Dog Nation Daily sometimes, and let me go off on a quick tangent here for like two seconds, and we'll get back to it. Because Dog Nation Daily is a fairly, you know, sizable audience for a show about one team, every now and then we have some sort of trolls that invade, and some of the dog fans can get a little bit ornery about that, right. as you might expect. Yeah. But in terms of like Morgan Recton, some of this good-natured stuff, William Lee, people like that, good-natured stuff, Georgia fans gonna be fairly welcoming here yeah. on that. I, I listen. I, I hop on with the every Wednesday yeah, in the morning. I do the show, there. 
And they're, and they're very welcoming. Yeah. I've had a lot of good comments from Georgia fans. I do sometimes. I'm like, man, I should get on there and see what they thought about what I just said. You know, like, just to make sure that I'm not getting hammered. But you're right. They, they, they're great over in that comment. Yeah, listen, I mean, they don't love everything I say either sometimes. So that's just par for the uh, course there on that. By the way, Steve Weaver says about Jeremy Pruitt, it's like kindergarten cop. Now, you may not be old enough to remember the movie from the early 90s when Arnold Schwarzenegger played the kindergarten cop. That is kind of what Jeremy Pruitt reminds me of. Yeah, I have no idea. I've never seen the movie. Oh, you haven't seen that movie yet? I mean, it is a little bit like that sort of fish out of water there in that environment. Nonetheless, let's go out to number two here on our SEC Country Live first in 10 list. And speaking of Georgia, the uh, shirt that I'm wearing here today, a lot of F Florida players at SEC Media Days yesterday talking about that big rivalry game with Georgia. And clearly this was a series that Florida's dominated for a long time, but it was 42-7 a year ago uh, with Georgia over the uh, Gators. And Florida fans, and Florida players, I should say, think that in 2018 things could be different. In fact, they're not quite so sure that, that, that what you saw in that game in 2017 was necessarily the best foot forward for the Florida Gators. As an example of that, here's one of the leaders for the Gators, C.C. Jefferson, describing what he thinks could happen next in the series. Oh, most definitely, because if you look back a year before, then that's the same backfield, some of the same O-linemen, so same defense. So, yeah, I would say that we are that close, and that, that score doesn't determine, you know, that who's the better team. So listen, that's CeCe Jefferson, one of the leaders on the Florida defense. On the other side of the ball, one of those offensive leaders is Martez Ivy, the anchor, the left tackle for that Florida offensive line. And much like CeCe Jefferson, Martez Ivy thinks that, yeah, you know what, this rivalry that's so important to him, he thinks it could change in 2018. Here's Martez. Since three years I've been here, I felt like that was like the, the, the most intense game I felt like we were ever going to play. You know, just see how, like, Florida, like, always ran the ball on Georgia. That's coming in as a freshman. You know, just seeing how physical it was, you know, seeing all the trash talk. I remember the hit uh, when Brandon Spice put on that running back, I believe. I, I, that's how I knew. Like, I was like, oh, this is going to be the most intense game I play in my life. And just, I was, like, trying to prepare myself for it and just understand, like, get out there, you know, like, what's going to happen under the power of the trash talk that's going to happen. Just, that's game way closer than what the scoreboard put out last year. Now, you can hear one more Florida player here, the linebacker David Rees, who, while he's just as optimistic and hopeful as Martez Ivey and C.C. Jefferson about what the future could look like, Reese is not in denial about the fact that 2017 for the Gators was a game that did not turn out well. It really got away uh, against UGA. Here's a bit from David Reese. They came to play, you know, they had an older team that, you know, all came back for the fifth year, and they had a great squad last year. They uh, went far. They had two of the best running backs probably in college football. That game just, you know, we let that one slip away. So let me speak as a fan here just for a moment. For a long time, and I obviously you can see the Georgia shirt here, I really wanted Florida to care about the Georgia rivalry again. One of the things that kind of frustrated me as a fan was that Florida's got you know, a Tennessee rivalry. It's got a Florida State rivalry. Right. And when it's winning. LSU. LSU is a, a big rivalry now. But, you know, at a time when they were dominating Georgia, and they were for a long time, you know, they were more worried about what Philip Fulmer's doing at Tennessee. Right, more yeah. worried about <laughs> what, what Bobby Bowen might be doing at Florida State. Maybe even, you know, Jimbo Fisher at Florida State here in our recent years. I wanted Florida to care about Georgia again. The most satisfying thing for me about my team beating Florida last year was, is Florida's forced to care now. Right. Florida, Florida is forced to say, you know what, we've got to pay real close attention to Georgia. And yes, over the last few decades, it's obviously been an imbalance in favor of Florida, but that doesn't do much to make Martez Ivy feel better. doesn't do much to make CeCe Jefferson feel better, David Reese feel better. If you're a Florida fan, you love the idea of those guys being eager and hungry to play Georgia again. But if you're a Georgia fan, you love the idea of Georgia, by going out and doing what it did a year ago, has made the Georgia-Florida rivalry matter again. And I think Jacksonville could be pretty interesting here again this year. I, I was in a scenario just like that when I was in school. Yeah. The, the, when I was in college, I showed up and Auburn had beaten Alabama like four straight years or something like that, routed off a couple of more wins in a row. And all I wanted was for, was for Auburn fans and Auburn to, to, to understand what Alabama was again, yeah. what they could be capable of. And it didn't happen until 2008. You win 36-0 and Tuberville's fired. And that it, it, it resembles that a lot. It resembles a similar situation where, hey, we're back. And we're back to doing Alabama things. And we can, uh, you know, be talked about amongst the elite teams again. I, I understand the eagerness. And I, I love that coming out of the Florida players. I think you have to have that attitude if you're a Florida player looking at this Georgia game. Because not only was Georgia successful on the field, they were successful in recruiting uh, last year too. So that kind of has a, a bunch of alarm bells going off. 
But, you know, listen, I have no problem with what they were saying, and I think that, you know, eagerness to, to, to have that game be played again, I'm sitting in the driver's seat with that as well, saying I can't wait to watch the game this year. Maybe I'm just in a little bit of a sentimental mood because it's our last week on the air, but I'm actually going to say something nice about Florida here, so y'all be careful. Everybody much buckle like, up. <laughs> yeah, yeah be, just be real careful here that you don't, like, have a coronary or something. I've actually heard a lot over the last few days from both Martez Ivy and CeCe Jefferson, and they sound like leaders. Yeah. They really do. I agree. I heard a lot from CeCe Jefferson yesterday. I had a chance to just sort of digest a lot of what he said, a lot of these various media availabilities. Jefferson comes across like a real leader. Yes. And Martez Ivy to me does as well. And some people would say, well, you know, Ivy's been a disappointment. I told you my thoughts on this the other day. If you're starting in the SEC as an offensive lineman and you know, even if you're not the anchor left tackle for your full career, but he was in no danger of ever being replaced as a starting offensive lineman for Florida. You may not be as good as you maybe one day will be or as good as some Florida fans hoped you would be, but you're good enough because you're starting battling against these elite defensive lines in the SEC week in and week out. So that aside, Ivy and Jefferson come across as real leaders. Now, I'm not going to change my opinion that Florida has still got a lot of holes on its roster. I, I'm sorry, I, I just do still believe that. But if you're a Florida fan, I do think you feel really good. But the fact that on one side of the ball with Jefferson, on the other side of the ball with Ivy, you've got, you've got some real leadership that you can depend on there. Well, and, and I'll go a step further because at this point last year, what were the talking points? Malik Zaire, yeah. Antonio Callaway. I mean, we had a ton of talking points that weren't about leadership and that weren't about the football game and weren't about the football team. It was about off the field stuff. It was about transfers. It was about... Jim McElwain's future. It was about a shark, uh, you know, photo yeah. that came out right before SEC Media Days, and it just feels like this is a more prepared Florida team. That things have calmed down. That all of a sudden Martez Ivy can focus on playing left tackle. Not that he wasn't doing it before, but the issues coming out in the weight room. It feels like this is a Florida team that can finally focus on what they need to be. And I think that kind of goes under the radar when you talk about Dan Mullen, but he brings a level of consistency to that program that I don't think they've had in quite a long time. How about Dante Eady and Michael Collum in the Facebook comment section? Dante says, really, B.A., you're going to be nice to Florida. <laughs> Michael Collum says, oh, no, don't be nice to those Gators, LOL. Although Stephen Early, who's also a really good Georgia fan, he also says, no doubt to what I just said. I have to give it to them. They are speaking well and saying all the right things. And listen, saying all the right things when you've sort of practiced for this moment is a little easier uh, you know, to do than you might think if you actually go out and follow up on that in practice. But you got to have some leadership to lean on. And, and in the case of Jefferson and Ivy, I think they've at least got that anchor that they can depend on. Well, and not only that, but how many times have you and I talked about on the show, listen, if you're going to be a leader, you have to be a good football player first. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah we've said that. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think these are the only two five-star guys left on the roster. Was Jefferson a five-star? I, I, I think that, that yeah. CeCe Jefferson was a five-star player, and I know Martez Ivy was as well. I think these are the most talented guys, as far as from a recruiting standpoint, that are left on this, uh, you know, this Florida roster moving forward. How about Greg Steele, a Florida fan, also in our Facebook comment section? I told you. Uh, here I just said something nice about Florida. I really gave them a nice compliment for CeCe Jefferson and uh, and uh, uh, Martez Ivy. Greg Steele puts 1980 in the comments section. That's George's it, it never last ends. national Never champion. ends. Listen, I probably deserve that in some respects, but that, that's just an example of the grief that I have to take every day here in this discussion. Steve Quinn, though, over on YouTube says, frankly, I'm sick of hearing about Florida. South Carolina beat them last year. South Carolina started more underclassmen than any Power 5 school. Like I said yesterday, Muffin, uh, I should say <laughs> Mullen won nothing at uh, Mississippi State. So that's Steve Quinn saying that this, to the extent there is hype for Florida, this is, he thinks it's overstated at the expense of South Carolina. And I don't deny that South Carolina is a better team than Florida. Is Florida maybe a more interesting story just because it's a former national championship program and it's got a brand new coach and that's not more interesting if you are a South Carolina fan. But, but there's a reason why, South, why Florida is getting the attention that it's getting because of where it's been in the past, where it's trying to get back to. But in terms of talking up this year, if you're talking up Florida at the expense of South Carolina, I agree, I agree with Steve Quinn on that, and you're making him stay. No, yeah, I think so too. It, listen, you guys know that I'm, I'm, I'm higher on Florida than most, and I'm lower on South Carolina than most, but I think this is gonna be a game, one of those games that to me shapes the East. You know what I mean? Like we expect Georgia to be good, not sure what Tennessee's gonna be, South Carolina's getting a lot of love for that second spot, but I do think that Florida could put together a good enough schedule and a good enough run to where they can make a shot and, and make that South Carolina game 
really be one of those that molds what the standings look like at the end of the year. Steve Weaver and Alexander Rain making fun of me because when I said meant to say Mullen, I said Muffin. I was <laughs> the comment was from uh, Steve Quinn that uh, Mullen won nothing. I sort of like conflate all that together into Muffin. Um, so now they're having some fun with me for uh, calling man. Mullen the, the Muffin Man. It. There. All right, item number three here on SEC Country Life First and Ten list. So uh, it's been kind of actually sad this week because. SEC Media Days has been literally just right down the road from where we do this show from every single day. And I've been busy. I shouldn't have been over there at all. Yeah. I didn't go to any of like the receptions, didn't go to any of the uh, uh, you know, the sessions during the day. But I did sneak over there for a minute this afternoon. I actually bumped into Mike Johnson. Who listen, y'all should see Mike Johnson. Oh, SEC here we go. This guy's back slapping, high five, there we go, babies. man. I mean, you know, I have to sort of get out of the way of the throngs of people trying to say hello to Mike Johnson. <laughs> uh, but I did uh, bump into Mike, and we saw like nine seconds of Saban speak, and then I said, "All right, I'm bored." I'm yeah, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm going back to work. Listen, uh, I, I've seen Nick talk plenty of times. I didn't need to sit and watch him talk in front of a podium. But there was something interesting you said. I don't have the audio to play for this I apologize but um Jalen Hurts at least it sounds like based on some quotes we saw from AL.com who was obviously on hand for uh what Saban had to say there that he, he sort of acknowledged that he doesn't know for sure that Jalen Hurts gonna be on the team coming up this summer and this fall that now when you hear the audio maybe it comes across a little bit different but when you read that I don't know those three words in response to is Hurts gonna be on this team that gets your attention a little bit doesn't it no I listen it reminds me of like a movie or show. You ever see like an alert comes out and everybody's yeah. phone starts going off at the same time? It's like everybody's phone started going off at the same time because Nick Saban, when asked about Jalen Hurts, said, I'm not sure. I yeah. have no idea. I think yeah, it was. I, I have no idea, yeah. Which is even a stronger, you know, kind of uh, statement than I'm not sure. And listen, I think this is Nick Saban. I don't want to say at his wits in, but this is not a, a statement you would have heard Nick Saban make three months ago. Right. I think that he under... I think there's some stuff going on that he's like, listen, I'm sick of hearing about these questions. And the bottom line is, I'm going to tell you up front, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on with, uh, you know, with, with Jalen. I don't know what's going on with his dad. This was Nick Saban to me a little bit as wits in. I don't have the fancy quote to put on the screen here, but I can read this to you from uh, AL.com. Uh, Saban says about Hurts, I have no idea. I expect him to be there. I think it's our job to give both players, he means Jalen and Tua, a fair opportunity to have a chance to win the job at their position. We'll create a role for one or both. Ooh, that's interesting. We'll create a role for one or both those guys on the team, uh, and they'll have, all have to make a decision based on what the outcome is as what their future is at Alabama. We certainly want every player to stay at the University of Alabama and graduate. Jalen has a great opportunity to do that in December, so we're hopeful he will stay. Uh, there and be a graduate regardless of his circumstances as a player. But that's not to minimize his chance of making making uh, a starter or making a great contribution to our team in some way, even if he isn't the starter. So that's a couple interesting things there from uh, Saban. I sort of agree with you that a typical Saban response on something like this for me would be, why wouldn't Jalen Hurts be here? What, well, yeah. you know something I don't know? Why right. wouldn't Jalen Hurts be here? Essentially deflecting the idea of a transfer. Yeah. This is what uh, in politics they call granting the premise of the question. You know, politicians all the time, they'll be asked uh, a certain issue and they'll just sort of pivot to another talking point. They don't grant the premise of the question. Saban grants the premise that yes, there's a chance that, that hurts my transfer. That means that he takes this seriously. And let me tell you what I believe is going on here. And okay. You can tell me if I'm wrong. I think that Saban is less worried about Hurts than he is the next generation of Jalen Hurts. You know, next yeah. generation of elite quarterback. And I don't think you want to be seen as holding Jalen Hurts hostage. I do take Saban at his word that he hopes that Hurts doesn't transfer. I think all Alabama fans should feel the same way. You're better with Hurts on your team, even if there's a little bit of a, a controversy right now. But Saban knows that he's being watched, maybe even being watched by 2019-2020 quarterbacks, although they're pretty well stocked for the class of 2019. They've you know, got offers out already for uh, 2020 QBs, including a uh, kid not too far from where we uh, do this show right now. Uh, the point here is, I think Saban wants to be seen as being magnanimous in the direction of Jalen Hurts. I think he wants him to stay, but I don't think he's going to use the media to coerce him. No, well, here's what I kind of take it, and, and I think you're kind of on the right track there with, you know, this might have other implications, but to me, this also tells recruits, hey, I'm going to play the best player. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that's one True. of the things Nick Saban's having to hold himself accountable for is, hey, listen, I told Tua when I was recruiting him, don't worry about Jalen. Well, guess what? The time has come to where I have to play the best player, and all of a sudden, Tua's out there. I also want to read this comment because I don't agree with the whole thing, but I think there is something to it, and it's from Alexander Rain in the YouTube comment section. He says, Nick needs to make up his mind about who the starter is as soon as possible, then whatever happens, happens. Don't agree with that. But it, I do agree with this next part. He says, you can't let either of those young guys hold you hostage in any way. And I think that's, yeah. to me, that's at the, the root of what Nick was saying today. It's like, you know what? 
by God, the quarterback's only one position on this football team. And you know what? If Jalen leaves, then that's on Jalen. Yeah. And right now, I don't know what's going to happen when, when things kick off against Louisville, but we've got well, two talented quarterbacks right now. Well, let me ask you this, because, I mean, to go along with, with the uh, comment there from YouTube, we had people suggest that the Tungo Vialoa family, I'm talking about media people, reporters that knew the Alabama record, uh, recruiting scene, we had reporters suggest that the Tungo Vialoas tried to manipulate that, that situation with Nick Saban in Alabama. Do you think Saban felt manipulated by this? Do you think he felt pressure to play Tua Tungo-Vilo in the national championship? Lane Kiffin said that he heard that Tua was going to transfer. Tua himself talked about the possibility of transferring. Do you think that Saban knew he had to put Tua in the game or risk losing him in offseason? I, I, don't, I don't think it dates back to last year, not in my opinion. I, I, I think that any pressure that Nick Saban felt about putting Tua in the game, in my opinion, was because of the loss to Auburn and how bad the offense looked. And that, listen, Auburn's had some success against Alabama. They've never beaten Alabama like that since Nick Saban's been there. They just haven't. They, they, the game hasn't looked that way. So I, I think that Nick Saban probably has some pressure from the Tonga Vailoa family. I think that that's probably a real storyline, but I don't think it dates back to last year. And I think that Nick coming out of the Knicks Kid Charity Golf Tournament a, a month ago and saying, hey, listen, keep your head down and continue to work. I think that was uh, addressed at both of those families. A couple other quick things here from the AL.com quote. It's, I mean, everybody was there, but I'm just reading it from AL.com. He says, I'm saving about Jalen Hurts, we'll create a role for one or both those guys. And then he goes on to say uh, the possibility of making a great contribution to our team in some way, even if he isn't the starter. Is he talking about playing a different position right there, or is that reading too much into it? Well, it, it could be. Playing and, and a role, making a contribution. Is that is that H-back? I don't think so. I think this is finding a situational you know, type of quarterbacking position for whatever they need on the field. And I, and I think that's what a lot of people have pointed to. Hey, listen. If it's third and three, and you, you know you, you need a poor man's kind of you know back there where he can throw or run, and you can put Jalen in. Otherwise, it, you know it's evident that Tua has more arm talent, and he needs to be in all those situations. It, it's interesting because it, it is backwards of the Tebow Chris Leak debate. Tua is a thrower, and if you have the better thrower at quarterback, then you don't take him out in certain situations. So I think that's what Nick Saban's dealing with right now. All right, item number four here in our SEC Country Live uh, first and ten list. It was Mississippi State's day at SEC Media Days today as well. In fact, you and I essentially almost ran right into Joe Moorhead as he was moving yeah. <laughs> from one uh, portion of the room to another. Another guy that was on hand there for them was the uh, uh, Bulldogs quarterback, Nick Fitzgerald. He spoke to ESPN, and the big question facing Fitzgerald, especially coming off that Egg Bowl where he left with an injury is, are you healthy? Are you are you ready to go again for uh, 2018? And Fitzgerald's fired up and ready to go. Here's what Fitz told ESPN. Absolutely 100%. Uh, you know, we've we've been working on a lot in the offseason. Uh, you know, since I started running, I think in February, uh, I've been really, really focusing on building functional strength, the balance, uh, the flexibility I'm going to need to go back out there and make the cuts and then make the runs I'm going to need to make. Uh, so at this moment, 100%, uh, running with the team, doing everything that the team does, agility-wise, sprints, all that. By the way, uh, we've been talking about our last week here on the air. Brent Hickman in the Facebook comment section says, do you guys see how often this show is watched through Facebook, like how YouTube does it? Really don't want this show to go away. Brent, we really appreciate that. And obviously, we're excited about some of the things we're going to be able to do for you in the future. And uh, one of the things I'm really proud of is if you go in, you know, I mean, listen, this is going to come across as slightly immodest. I don't mean for it to. But if you go look, and every episode we've ever done of SEC Country Live is still chronicled for now on the SEC Country uh, Facebook page. I mean, I don't know how many total views we've put together, but it's in the tens of millions. I mean, yeah. uh, so, you know, thankfully for us, we've been able to put up some uh, pretty big numbers here. And uh, we had some great sponsors that were lined up ready to go for us uh, this upcoming fall. Sometimes things are just a little bit more complicated uh, than just what you think the basic name of the game is with uh, viewership and sponsorship. But you know what? We've got nothing but good things to say about the time we've been on the air here. Really, really grateful for the opportunity. You know, had we not been given this chance to speak to all of you, I mean, I think our life would be, uh, you know, less because of it. So I'm grateful for the numbers that we put up and posted, and I'm really excited about what we've got going on in the future. No, and, and, and grateful that obviously those numbers come from people tuning in on the daily. It's not without, just people you know, happening upon the page. You guys that have turned on your uh, your notifications, That's that's been the lifeline of the show. You believe Nick Fitzgerald when he says he's healthy? I do. And, and listen, I've, I've told you guys this before on the show. I had the same injury that Nick Fitzgerald had. I had a broken leg and a dislocated ankle, and it is an extremely hard injury to come back from. But I think he did it to a lesser degree where he didn't have to have the microfracture surgery. Most of his cartilage was intact. You pop it back in place, you put a plate in his leg. I don't know. You know, it's hard for me to look at him and say, boy, you know, he's definitely going to be the best runner he's ever been uh, this year. 
But listen, you know, Joe Moyer has already come out and said that, you know, he's going to be a little bit more of a passing quarterback, and maybe that has a lot to do with Nick Fitzgerald and, and, and talking about his health. Yeah, deep throws, more RPOs. Yeah. You get the, the sense from Moorhead, who's done great things for Trace McSorley. You almost wonder if Moorhead's even in his spy had McSorley not broken out such a big way for Penn State. I'm, I'm laughing right now because, listen, it's the last week of the show. I want to tell this story anyways. B.A. and I are sitting in the hallway earlier. And Joe Moorhead walks out of, you know, kind of one of his press conference uh -huh. rooms. And me and B.A. are not even looking at Joe Moorhead. And he looks and goes, how you guys doing? And I looked at B.A. and I go, who is that? <laughs> he, he, walked up, he walked up on us. We were sitting in there having a, having a talk in the, you know, a conversation in the hallway. And Joe Moorhead walks right up to us and says, hey, how are y'all doing? I said, who was that? Was that? That was Joe Moorhead. I was like, man, I didn't even, I didn't even know who the guy was. I, that just kind of little inside peek at SEC Mississippi media. Mississippi State fans, though, say that you're going to recognize that face anywhere in a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, listen, I, look, he was a big guy. He was way bigger than I thought he was. I just wasn't used to seeing him kind of walk up on us, so it took me by surprise while you and I were just chit-chatting about something that was not Mississippi State. Right, related. exactly. It's kind of uh, funny stuff there. All right, let me do item number uh, five here in our SEC Country Live uh, first and ten list. I want to play you a little audio from uh, Chad Morris, who made his uh, SEC Media Days debut yesterday, the Arkansas head coach, first time uh, being there, of course. And I want you to hear this. I want you to, uh, I want you to, I want to find out from you if your reaction to this is the same as mine. Here is Chad Morris talking about how excited he is to be a part of his very first SEC Media Days. They told me there would be a few cameras here today. So uh, I think a few would probably be a little bit of an understatement. But uh, I've, I've been really excited, you know. Growing up and, and being a fan of college football and whether when I was coaching high school ball, even at some of my prior stops, you knew that when you turned on the television and you saw the SEC media days being televised, you knew that football season was starting. And to know that I'm on the platform and, and part of the kickoff of college football, uh, I'm extremely excited about this opportunity that we have. So I think that Chad Morris is a great job telling that story. There's only one problem with it, as far as I can tell. Well, <laughs> yeah, he's not exactly Mr. Energy. Yeah. But SEC Media Days being on TV is a fairly new phenomenon. Yeah. This idea that, boy, I grew up watching this thing on television. Yeah, yeah, year. yeah. Listen, I mean, I was at SEC Media Days like a few years ago, and it wasn't on TV. Right, yeah, yeah. So, so let's not act like this was like some rite of passage for young college football fans growing up. This thing's been on TV for like five minutes. I, was, I mean, I, Three years ago, I'm not even sure things on TV. You know, another part, you know, another another funny part is, and, and you guys might not realize this behind the scenes, is that somebody walks up and puts a water bottle on the podium after every coach speaks. Uh -huh. I don't know if you caught the beginning of Chad Morris, but he walks out and he kind of looks down in the microphone and he goes, "Is this my water? or Is this the previous coach's water?" Like he wasn't sure. If, he wasn't sure if he was allowed to drink the water. He was like, "Ah, is this is for it, me? Is this a prop if, water? Is this I, like, it's like a drink water? Am here? I a VIP yeah. here? Like, okay, I'm gonna drink this right, water. You right, know, was, yeah. he, I think he brought his own water to the podium because he wasn't sure. If I he mean, had one. listen, it's got to be nerve-wracking. I mean, I mean, one more sort of behind-the-scenes story from today. Like I said, you know, most of the media have been sort of camped out there all week long. I, I literally went today for the first time, and the, and the moment I walked through the door, they have, like, the blue carpet set up for, like, the, the, the coaches to sort of walk in the room for the first time, and uh, they were anticipating saving a lot of fans in the building. And so I walked right in and walked right through that carpet with cameras up and uh, and, and fans all around, they were all waiting for Saban to come through, and it's disconcerting. You're like, whoa, what is all this, you know, attention for? Is Saban behind me right now? Of course, he's, he's not. He's still several minutes away. But can you imagine being Chad Morris and you're getting that attention? At SMU Media, uh, media Days and the American Athletic Conference, that yeah. wasn't happening. Now, he was offensive coordinator at Clemson, but you don't go to Media Days when the offensive coordinator at uh, Clemson and ACC Media Days ain't nothing like SEC Media Days. This is a real culture shock. For yeah, him. no, and, and, and I think that really speaks, in my opinion, to the uphill grind that Chad Morris has ahead of him. I mean, Arkansas has had some good years, but they are definitely on a downhill slope. And, and Chad Morris being tasked with the guy that's supposed to start sending this thing in the other direction, I think the reaction to Chad Morris at Media Days tells the story of where this program is right now and just how much work he has left ahead of him. Uh, Steve Weaver says Chad Morris sounds like he's already reached the apex and now he's heading for the fall. Certainly, um, uh, Arkansas fans hope that's not the case. Yeah, and listen. Chad Morris, to me, is one of those guys that he runs a system. And, and I found out today, by the way, that Chad Morris didn't play college football, which yeah. I, I thought was very interesting. He graduated from Texas A&M but didn't play at Texas A&M. Chad Morris is one of, one of those guys to me that runs an offensive system yeah. that can do more with less. And I think right now, I think that's a perfect situ uh, situation and scenario for Arkansas. Uh, Morgan Recton says, Chad Morris was talking like he's running for office. Please vote for me as your head coach. Hashtag vote Morris. I will say that all these SEC coaches in venues like this, they always kind of come across to me, especially the ones that aren't like Saban 
you know, and some of those, you know, guys that you've just sort of gotten really, really used to seeing, they all sort of come across as sort of a combo, kind of a cross between like a politician, like a Baptist preacher. You know yeah, yeah. It's like you're at the pound on that podium, they're about to give you like an altar call. They all kind of come across that way to me. Yeah, they definitely do. I, I mean, it, it, and I wasn't knocking on Chad Morris earlier when I act like I was, you know, when I was snoring. That's how all these coaches are at the podium. It's like, listen, it, and, and we, you and I walked out three minutes in a Nick Saban speech, and yeah. it was like he, he started talking about, uh, you know, some charitable stuff and making sure players are prepared for the future. And, I, listen, I love him for it, but I was like, hey, listen, I'm going to fall asleep sitting here. So. Uh, uh, Bobo on that in the YouTube comment section says, the best thing that happened for Arkansas is what happened in Oxford, Mississippi. A door open for Arkansas to maybe climb up because of the troubles with the Rebels there. That's an interesting point. Item number six here on our SEC Country Live first in 10 list. And uh, uh, Jeremy Pruitt offers an update today on Trey Smith. Seems like a good news here. It looks like that Pruitt, and we've been anticipating this for a while now based on the little whispers that Pruitt gives here and there. It seems like Pruitt thinks that Trey Smith's on his way back and ready to go again for the balls, which if you're a Tennessee fan, I mean, that's just a must-have. You know, Smith yeah. is one of the best offensive linemen in the league. I think he's the best player on the Tennessee roster. It's just an anchor if there ever was one. And the fact that Pruitt's been so hopeful this offseason about Trey uh, Smith, who's had sort of an undisclosed uh, physical illness here, if you're a Tennessee fan, A, it's great news if Trey Smith truly is in uh, good health again, but from a football standpoint, it's just awesome for Vols fans to have Smith back on the field again. I, I think aside from Jeremy Pruitt getting the head coaching job, this is the biggest offseason story for this Tennessee football team. This is the best player on your football team, and really, it's really incredible what Trey Smith was able to do last year. I mean, sometimes when you have a program that's as down as Tennessee was last year, it's hard as a freshman to step in and be a good player because odds are there's not a lot of other good players around you. Trey Smith was incredible last year. I mean, listen, I, I watched it with my own eyes. I watched Trey Smith roll up Raquan Davis right there on the defensive line when Tennessee played Alabama, and I was astonished. And he did it game after game, week after week, and continued to be successful. So having him at Jeremy Pruitt's disposal, implementing this Tyson Helton offense with possibly a pro-style quarterback behind you, there is no, in my opinion, and this obviously I'm an offensive lineman, there is no bigger storyline for Tennessee this offseason for me. Perry Williams in the uh, YouTube, I should say the Facebook comment section says, Vols also got some good news on J.J. Peterson, one of those elite signees outside linebacker from Coughlin County was dealing with some uh, academic stuff. I, I haven't heard that myself, but it sounds like Perry says that J.J. Uh, Peterson is going to be good to go. That's also one of those names. Um, that a, a lot of uh, Tennessee fans are hoping to hear good stuff on. So interesting stuff there from Perry Williams. Christy Hardy says, I love watching you guys and always share your page to my sports group. I'm in. I will continue to watch you on YouTube as well. Just won't be the same thing. Immediate alerts on my phone. I appreciate watching you guys in SEC country. Hope you guys come back here soon on Facebook. Well, Christy, we certainly appreciate that. And, you know, it's people like you that have made doing this show so much fun. And we're just really grateful for the time we've been able to spend together. And thanks for uh, reaching out and giving us that comment there. Item number seven here on our SEC Country Live first in 10 list. A moment ago in the YouTube comment section, Florida fan Morgan Recton said that he wishes that Georgia, Florida played every year on campus in Gainesville and in Athens, as opposed to where the game is, is a neutral yeah. site there in Jacksonville. It's known as the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Someone who apparently agrees with the commenter is Florida defensive lineman C.C. Jefferson, who said that one of his regrets in his college career was that he never got to play Georgia in Athens. Apparently, Jefferson's watching UGA games on TV and kind of like what he saw. Here's C.C. Jefferson. I kind of wish we went to Georgia and played at Georgia. I, I wouldn't mind it, man. I wouldn't mind it. Because I ain't going to lie, it gets lit between them hedges, man. You know, at night I seen where they you know, light the cell phones up and stuff. And man, it, it gets loud in there, man. And uh, I think we should, I wouldn't mind like going from our stadium to their stadium every year. You know, we don't have to go to Jacksonville every year. So how about that from uh, CC Jefferson saying, we don't have to go to Jacksonville every year. I kind of like Athens, would have liked to have seen that stadium. Uh, complimentary of Georgia fans, which is kind of an interesting thing to hear from a uh, Gators player. I mean, I, I said this today on my show, Dog Nation Daily, that non I should say neutral site games seem somewhat out of style right now. Yeah. You know, Alabama has gone from playing the non-conference neutral site games to scheduled home and home with Texas, scheduled home and home with Notre Dame. You know, we've talked more on this show this offseason about, about Texas A&M playing Clemson than we have about maybe, say, like Miami and LSU getting together. They're both really good games, but there's something exciting about, about A&M getting a chance to host Clemson yeah. as opposed to the neutral site for Miami and LSU. Right now, that's just not the hot thing in college football. And it's even sort of matriculating down to, you know, a, a key conference game like this. Now, I will tell you, as a Georgia fan, I've always loved the uh, 
it's almost like an extra vacation in October when you go down there and you see your team play in Jacksonville against Florida. I've always really enjoyed that. But even a Florida player here says, you know what? I've heard good things about that atmosphere at UGA. I see it on TV. He referenced a tradition that Georgia does, a recent tradition of the fans using cell phones to sort of light up the stadium in the fourth quarter there. Uh, it, it sounds like even a Florida player says, you know what, maybe home and home is the way to do this. This is really kind of a growing trend around college football. For Forget you know, Georgia, Florida, just, just all uh, of college football seems heading more in the direction of, of home and home as opposed yeah. to neutral side. I agree, and, and I think that you, you brought it up the right word. It's trendy, right? It's trendy not to be playing some of these uh, neutral side games. And I got to be honest, putting myself in CeCe Jefferson's shoes, I cannot imagine having gone through my college career, not stepping between the hedges, not playing in Death Valley at night, not hearing the cowbells in Starkville, not going into the swamp to play Chris Leak, Tim Tebow, and the Gators. I can't imagine, uh, you know, my career have ending w without playing those games. It just, it blows my mind the fact that C.C. Jefferson isn't going to get to experience that stadium, uh, you know, Sanford Stadium up in Athens. I agree with them. And, 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 you know, listen, I think there's some great things to be said about Jacksonville as a host site. I think there's other games, and we, you know, we've mentioned Birmingham, Legion Field used to be this way. I think there's some great things to be said about it. But in the end, there's a lot of great things that also could be said about the Gators coming to Athens and, and, and Georgia returning back to Gainesville. I think that would be incredible. Rick Keen in the Facebook comment section says, one of my best memories of the Florida-Georgia rivalry is when we beat the Dogs in Athens while they were renovating Altel Stadium. 94-95, these two schools did go home and home. Florida won both those. And 1995 was a very conflicted day for me. Florida hammered Georgia and Sanford Stadium. And it really kind of put a dampener on for me later on, which was one of the great sports memories of my life. Braves won the World Series that night. Oh. I live in Atlanta. I'm a big Braves fan. So here's the Braves' first World Series championship. And it happens the same day as Georgia getting drubbed by Florida. Now, Georgia was terrible in 95. No one thought Georgia had a chance to win. And Florida was very good. But yeah. Still, you know, that huge about putting the sour taste in your mouth. Uh, Georgia giving up 50 at home to Spurrier in 1995. Good Lord. It was not fun. Yeah, that's weird that you put that spin on. I never thought about kind of the interaction between, uh, you know, between some of those things because, you know, I was eight years old in 1995, right. first of all. But, I, you know, I paid attention to the Braves. That, that's really interesting. All right, item number eight here on our SEC Country Live first and ten list. We'll talk a little Texas A&M Aggies and maybe a subject of interest to them is when they might get things going again with their in-state rival, Texas. Uh, Tom Herman, the uh, Longhorns coach, is on Sirius XM uh, Radio ESPNU this week. They're also having Big 12 media days this week too, by the way. Uh, Herman says, in my perfect world, you'd play one big time Power 5 non-conference opponent every year. And then he goes on to say, to me, there's a very logical one an hour and a half east of us as to who we ought to be playing. Obviously a reference there to uh, Texas A&M. The fact that the head coach is now saying this so openly, Herman, in Texas, does this mean we're getting closer to A&M and, and UT getting back at it again at some point? I hope so. I, I just don't see why not. And, and, and obviously, there's going to be a ton of reasons. And I know the A&M the fans in the comment section will remind us of some of those reasons. But I don't think any of them are good reasons. I really don't. I, I think that you see South Carolina Clemson. You see Georgia, Georgia Tech. You see Florida, Florida State. These games can happen. And, and Texas A&M, when they left the Big 12, it raised their profile. And, and it did all the good things you wanted to do by leaving the Big 12 and coming to the SEC. And I think returning back around and kind of circling back around into that matchup where A&M kind of has this newfound kind of big boy feeling to them. You know what I mean? I, I think that would be a great thing for everybody involved. And I don't see, like I said, there's going to be reasons. There's going to be bad reasons. I don't see a good reason. Well, the frustrating thing for me is I always felt like this is a little bit of a passive aggressive rivalry because A&M can say, good, finally Texas is saying what they should say. But I'm a big believer that A&M's had its own opportunities to play one-offs against Texas bowl games where they could have been matched up together. You know the bowl would have loved to have done it, but I, I just simply believe that A&M's petitioned the SEC sort of avoid that kind of matchup when it would have made some sense. Maybe it was sort of slotted to play uh, a team like Texas in the Texas Bowl. You know, Texas has played the Texas Bowl a couple times. There's a yeah. there's an SEC tying into that bowl, and yet it was never A&M that did it. So. This is one of those things where, even though I'm sort of the SEC guy here, I'm a little bit of an SEC homer, uh, I really look at A&M as being just as much to blame on this as I see Texas. Now, I also don't live in the uh, Longhorn State. Uh, there is, uh, I should say, the, the Lone Star State, not the Longhorn State. The, the Lone Star State, I don't live in the Lone Star State. There's probably a lot of political backstory on this that I'm not privy to. But just based on what I am aware of, I, I don't know that A&M is blameless in this either. I don't think they are. and. and like I said, there's going to be reasons that come up that people are going to spit out and say, well, you know this, you know, this is a reason, or this politician, or this president. 
There's just no good reasons, in my opinion, why this can't happen. And I think another angle to look at, and Cliff Nelson says, as long as they don't play at the end of the season and screw up LSU's schedule. Now, <laughs> I don't. That's good, Cliff. I don't think that. Listen, I don't think they're concerned about LSU's schedule, but I do think that. In my opinion, if they do get this rivalry back together, can we get it on some weekend other than rivalry weekend? Can yeah. we spread the love throughout the season? Yeah. Can we get it That's week two? Point. Can we get it week three? Can we get it at one of these points where, you know, we can see some of these games starting to take shape? Uh, let, let me get Bobo on area on this. Who says uh, Texas needs the rivalry? A&M doesn't, so there's going to have to be uh, some concessions. And that's the kind of stuff that I don't love about this, but I know that Bo is a lot more tied into the story from an emotional standpoint than I am. Bo also says Texas told the member schools in the Big 12 not to schedule the Aggies as punishment, uh, so he's obviously still holding a grudge against that. I don't doubt that, but I don't we either. let bygones be bygones. I think, well, I think we're talking about college football rivalries here. I don't think there's any bygones yeah. going to be letting me bygones in college football rivalries. Everybody's at fault when you talk about stuff. All right, let me pick up the pace here a little bit. Item number nine on our SEC Country Live uh, first and ten list. So uh, Florida coach Dan Mullen speaks at SEC Media Days yesterday, and he's obviously trying to lay down sort of a new uh, new era for Florida. And there's a phrase you're going to hear him use a lot in this clip that apparently is trying to be maybe a bit of a catchphrase for the Gators. I've got to admit I don't hate it, but boy, Mullen's selling it hard. Here's Dan Mullen from yesterday's SEC Media Days. It's exciting to get the season kicked off and get ready to get football rolling and get ourselves into the fall. So I'm thrilled to be the head coach at the University of Florida. It's a great honor for me to be there and take over a program that has so much history and tradition of winning. I'm excited to build that standard back, get the Gator standard back to where everyone expects it to be. When you think of the Gator standard, you're thinking about a university of excellence. Everything about the Gator standard is excellence, whether it's academics, athletics, research, the University of Florida stands for excellence, and that's the Gator standard. And I want to make sure I get our football program back on top and continue that excellence of where we've been. I counted four uses of the phrase Gator standard there in that from Dan Mullen. So he's clearly trying to sell that phrase hard. Maybe he was told to. Maybe that's part of a PR campaign. But from a Florida standpoint, I actually don't hate it because that's one of the issues that I've had with Florida in recent years. And this seems like a Georgia guy taking a jab at the Gators. In a way, it's really a compliment and not a backhanded compliment that there is a standard at Florida. Now, I don't care about the other sports as much. Yeah. We're a show mostly devoted to football. Florida's good at other sports. That doesn't matter as much to me. But in football, there's a really high standard at Florida. And Jim McElwain didn't achieve that. And Will Muschamp didn't achieve that. As much as I like Muschamp now, he didn't achieve that at Florida. But it's important to remember what your standard is. It was set by Urban Meyer. It was set first by uh, Steve Spurrier. And Mullen talking that way is the right talk for Florida. No, I, I think it is. And he also used the term university of excellence. I mean, he, he used excellence three times that I counted in that, you know, in that phrasing too. And I think he's going down the right path. We've said this all along that Florida's not, Florida's one of those places that should recruit itself. It doesn't seem to be going that way for Dan Mullen right now. So I understand why he's trying to put things uh, kind of front and center. It did kind of bring me back though. My first year with the Falcons, we had this PR guy walking. He says, "Hey, we got this new phrase coming out. We're going to be saying rise up a lot." You know? Oh, is that right? <laughs> it was like, it was like, okay, you know, I don't know really what that yeah. means, but rise up sounds pretty good. It has stuck, and it has it yeah, has it, it has rode right out near Atlanta. You hear rise up all the time. Uh, Tim Glover, by the way, on Dan Mullen says he can get Florida back to the top of the East. Obviously, that's what Gators fans hope ends up being. Yeah, and listen, I, I don't know long run what Dan Mullen is at Florida. I think he's got a lot of good players to work with this year. It's going to be tough to surpass what Kirby Smart is doing at Georgia right now, but I do think he is in the right place at the right time. Y'all are still talking about muffins over in the YouTube comment section as well. I may not live that one down for a while. That may stick to Mullen here. The <laughs> Maybe that sticks to him. It's there a shame. That. It's a shame that uh, tomorrow's our last day because that James, one could have rode out. James Ackland, who I guess for today is not calling as a clown, uh, says uh, Floor is going to win a minimum of nine games here in uh, 2018. You got nine for the Gators? I've got eight, and I listed them earlier off for some of the people over in the YouTube comment section, and some of these. Wait, you typed eight games in the middle of the show? Uh, Charles, Do you listen to anything that I say? <laughs> not much. Are you just over here like typing? <laughs> Were you writing a blog post? Yeah, while not much. The show? They, they, you know, Cl uh, Cliff and some of the others were saying I don't see six wins. I said I got eight out of them. All right, we got to hurry up here. Item number ten: Missouri's at SEC Media Days today. Did you see any of this? No. I didn't either. No, and, and listen, I was, like you said, I was trying to work the room. I was in politician mode, but Missouri, it is what it is. I'll catch it later tonight, and I'll read some of the comments, and I'm sure they'll be really entertaining. A lot of talk about Drew Locke, and he probably deserves that, right? I mean, he's, he should. He's a first-round pick in all likelihood. I mean, this is what you come back for to get the attention that he's probably going to get at SEC Media Days today. He, Opposite of Alabama in the room at the same time. Right. But, but, you know, that, that's the attention he deserves. And, and, and it does. And, and I think that when you talk about – 
a guy that could be, if he, if he wasn't at a place like Missouri right now, I, I think if he was at a lot of other schools, he would be the face kind of of the SEC moving into the year. I really do. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just don't think that profile is there right now in Columbia, Missouri. All right, one big final show for us tomorrow. We're going to take a lot of comments, really just have a lot of fun with all of you, and we'll hope you'll be a part of it at 3 p.m. Eastern time. But for today, there's still a little bit more work to take care of. You know, we always look to close the show the same way every day. We're going to keep on doing it here during our final week on the air. We're always looking for champions of life. And I will tell you that I love golf. My favorite golfer is Phil Mickelson. And this is one of the coolest videos that I've seen. Oh Although God. I wouldn't trust Phil Mickelson to do this no. for anything in the world. Uh, the U British Open takes place this weekend, and uh, Mickelson getting ready for that with his friends from Callaway Golf showing off an amazing, and I mean amazing, trick flop shot here. Would you trust a professional golfer to do this? Watch this for a second. All right, here it comes. The flop shot just over his head there, just flips right I mean, over. Watch this, and we have the slow motion right here. I mean, this is real, folks. I mean, you can see this guy's hair flying back from the wind off the golf club. It, it's yeah. I would. You couldn't pay me to step in front of somebody swinging a golf he, club. Is like that this. a Callaway executive? It has to be, right? It, it has to be. Um, I mean, like if that ball hits you, you could die. You can knock your teeth out. I mean, not only <laughs> listen, there could be some bad medical stuff, but imagine the bad PR for Callaway. Oh no, Phil doubt. Nicholson uh, hits Callaway executive in the chin. Yeah, that's uh, been a, with been a, a rough ball. go for it's, Phil here a little bit as well. That's the last thing he needs is to be braining somebody with a uh, golf ball. Nonetheless, uh, thanks so much for being with the show. We've been telling you this, we mean this. SEC Country Live on YouTube. To find out more about what's next for us together, SEC Country Live on YouTube is the place to go. It's linked there in the Facebook comment section for those of you who are watching and our podcast. Uh, go ahead and subscribe to the SEC Country Live. That's also a really good spot to check in on to uh, find out what's next for us working together. One big final day tomorrow. We're going to make it fun for you, and we'll hope you'll be a part of it with us right here on SEC Country Live.